we welcome you, and I, I'm excited to be able to kick off a new series today that is entitled The Elephant in the Room. And over the next five weeks, Pastor Israel and myself will be taking you through five different topics that uh, are not widely spoken of. Um, and we want to just do our best with, the, with God's help to be able to address this, to be able to bless your life. Um, and I'm going to start today by, by talking uh, about a theme that maybe you didn't grow up hearing a lot about in church, and it's uh, called spiritual warfare and what spiritual warfare is. And we're going to get into it. We're just going to get in there today uh, with God's help. Are you ready for it? Spiritual warfare, that's a new concept to you. It may be something that, that is new. It may be something that you have heard maybe from a distance and really not wanted to engage in what this is. But uh, I tell you this morning, uh, it is a very prevalent theme in the Bible. What we do understand is that there is a battle that, that is being fought between the kingdom of God, those in the kingdom of God, and the dark world. When we look at... Uh, what this means in greater detail. We understand what the Apostle Paul talked about. He said, I was lifted up into the third heaven. So when we talk about that, the Bible describes these three heavens. The first heaven is where we understand the, the sun, the stars, the moon, all of that. Uh, the clouds exist. Then there's the second heaven, or also known as the heavenlies, as what the Bible calls the heavenlies. Uh, it, it's where there are spiritual forces. It's where there is demonic activity that is taking place. But then we have what is the third heaven where, where God is, where God is and where we will reign with him forever, one day, soon and very soon. Today I want to look at in detail on what the second heaven is and what it means for us today and be able to connect it into real life, uh, into what we face day in and day out. It, it is a place where battles take place. So we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 6. Scriptures will be provided for you on the screen. Ephesians 6, and we're going to read through verse, uh, from verse 10 through 17. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. Telling us, he's telling us as Christians, be ready, there's a fight. Be ready, there's a fight. So that you can take your stand. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You're going to engage in this fight. It is going to be active. It is going to be engaging. And then he says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your brother is not your enemy. The people sitting next to you is not your enemy. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There you see that word again. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and notice the word, when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, when that day comes that you may be able to stand your ground, 
that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. There is a struggle, but he tells us clearly and explicitly that we have the ability to stand. It's not about who we are, but it is about who we serve. And then he lists components in metaphors, not literally. And he says, with the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist. I have one son. I won't mention his name. But I remember, I remember we taught him on, on the full armor of God. And we would ask him when he, when he was younger, are you wearing the belt of truth? And he would pick up his shirt and say, I'm wearing it. But it's talking metaphorically. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You saw Robin Hood. You've seen other movies like that where you see those arrows that come at you with fire, that, that is the goal of the enemy, to just blindside us. To be able to shoot these arrows our way. Arrows of discouragement. Arrows of disappointment. Arrows of low self-esteem. Arrows of us believing and buying into a lie that, that God never said is true. But I'm grateful that we have the shield of faith. That when disappointment comes and when discouragement comes, I have a shield of faith to be able to block those fiery arrows. And I'm, I'm telling you today, I, I don't want to sound so loom and doom, but I want to tell you, yes, there is a fight. But I want to tell you that the victory is assured in Jesus. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about how the story ends. If you read the end of the book, the Bible tells us we win, we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. But until we get there, let me tell you, until we get there, there's things that are going to come our way that are going to try to knock us down. And we have to be aware of these things. Take the helmet of salvation. All these, and, and if you notice everything that I've listed, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the shield of faith, all these are defensive. They're to protect you from something coming. And then he lists an offensive weapon, something that we attack. And he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In the world that we're living in, you look at everything that is taking place in this world. And you ask yourself, what is taking, what's going on? How can this be? You sense it. There is something deeper going on than just people making bad choices. It is spiritual warfare. Second Corinthians ramps it up and introduces us to a different word. Jesus in, in Luke chapter 11 calls this term and he addresses it and, and calls it a, the strong man. But Paul calls it a stronghold. It's the same concept, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Are you with me this morning? It says, for though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. It's not a physical fight. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, on the opposite end, should, should I say, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds. Strongholds in the original Greek text is a word called okurama. Okurama, and it is actually, this word is actually describing someone who is chained by a chain, but the chain truly isn't strong enough to hold them down. The person just thinks it is. I'll say that one more time. It describes someone who is chained, but the chain isn't even strong enough to hold them down. They just think it is. It's the baby elephant concept. When, you, when they take a chain and they tie a baby, they take that chain and they tie it around one of the baby elephant's foot and the baby elephant tries to get away and, and he, he constantly just has defeat that, that as he grows, it's the same chain, but because in his mind, he's been defeated so many times and he's gone through so much disappointment that now he doesn't even try. A stronghold is a chain that truly doesn't have enough power to hold us back. But nonetheless, it's there. It's that area of your life that as you look in the mirror of God's word today, that really doesn't have as much power as you think it does. But you're convinced that it does. It doesn't have as much power as you think it does, but you are convinced that it does. Maybe an addiction. Maybe a habit. Maybe a wound from the past. Maybe an offense. It could be something generational that you look at your family tree and you say, I guess this is just the cards that I've been dealt. I guess this is the way things have to be in my life. It is something that has you chained, but it truly doesn't have the power to keep you there. But you've been convinced that it does. And you've told yourself, I'll always, I'll always struggle with this. I'll always fail in this particular area. Paul is talking about this. It's that area that he identifies as a stronghold. So what do we do, Paul? What do we do? When we have these strongholds in our lives, let's keep reading. He says, we demolish arguments. We have to demolish the lie. And every pretension that sets itself up, it positions itself up against the knowledge of God. What God says about you. So I have to come against every lie and every pretension that wants to stare at what God says about me. And I have to demolish that. It's not what my past says about me. It's not what your past says about you. It's not what people say, say about you. It's what God says about you. So here comes this lie and it sets itself up against who God has told you that you are. 
And it's trying to discourage you. And it's trying to have you buy in to the discouragement and the deception and the disappointment. And it's trying to get you to buy into the defeat where you just say, I guess this is who I am. But it's a lie. It's a lie. And the Bible says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When that thought wants to cross my mind, I have to take that thought and I have to match it up to what God's word says. And if it doesn't match up with what God's word says, it is a lie. I want to share a couple of definitions of what a stronghold is in, in just regular terminology. One, one definition says this, it's a prisoner locked by deception, living life by something that is not true. Maybe not you, but you can think of somebody who has bought into this. Living life by something that is not true. I hope, you can, I, I hope you can feel my heart as I stand before you today that what I want for you is not for you to live your life by a lie. But for you to step into and walk into what God says about you. Another definition says a stronghold is anything that exalts itself in our minds. Pretending to be bigger or more powerful than our God. This is a stronghold. Something that is pretending to be bigger or more powerful than God. What is it in your life? What is it in my life? What does this look like? In practical terms, it's taking the truth of God's word and destroying the lie that wants to just weigh you down. It's taking the truth of God's word and demolishing and destroying the lie that wants to keep you down. So let me give you a real life example. It's coming to church depressed. It's coming to church and you just had, uh, you just had one of the worst seasons of your life. And, and you come and maybe you don't even feel like being here. But, but as a song starts playing, you start lifting your hands and you start lifting your voice and you start lifting your eyes to the hills from where your help comes from. And by speaking the truth of who God is, and I start saying, you reign above it all. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. It doesn't matter what I'm facing. You reign above it all. And all of a sudden, I walked in in a depressed, weak, and fallen state. But by me declaring the truth of who God is and declaring the truth of his word, all of a sudden, I can leave differently. I can walk out with new hope and new perspective. That is spiritual warfare. I'm going to take the lie and say, no, it's not true. God's word says this. Jesus said this. John chapter 8, verse 44. When he lies, talking about Satan, the enemy of our souls, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Just like English may be your native language, just like Spanish may be your native language, our enemy's native language is lies. 
when he speaks, he speaks his native language for he is a liar. And he is the father of lies. And I just want to submit to you this morning that when we believe the lie, we empower the liar. Spiritual warfare is exposing that lie and replacing the lie with the word of truth. So the question you ask is, how do I know if there's a stronghold in my life? Let's go a little bit deeper. Strongholds. How do I know you might have a stronghold in your life? If there is something in your life that steals your focus. Is there something that steals our focus? That we go through life distracted. We go through our daily walks distracted. Or it causes, it causes us to feel controlled. You tell yourself words like, it's a self-talk. I could never be better. I could never overcome. I could never forgive. I could never be forgiven. Or you tell yourself, I will never. It consumes our emotional energy. Do you find yourself increasingly hopeless, just zapped of emotional energy? A stronghold will distract us from our purpose. Can I tell you that this is the enemy's goal in your life and in my life, that he would distract us from our purpose because there is nobody that has the DNA that you have, God made you unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have purpose. You have a destiny in God. You are too blessed to be stressed and you're too anointed to be disappointed. But something comes your way. And it distracts you. It distracts me. And we get caught up in it. We get caught. I can't believe they said that about us. I can't believe they think that of me. I can't. And it distracts us from our purpose. And that is what the devil is all about. And ultimately it will rob us of the life that God intended for us. So three realities that you need to believe as we engage in spiritual warfare. The first thing is this, the devil is real. Can I share an alarming statistic with you? 40% of Christians don't believe the devil is real. 40% of Christians believe that the devil is just a symbol of evil. The whole good versus bad concept. 40%. He's masquerading, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades, hides himself. Remember Genesis chapter 3? Doesn't come in his red jumpsuit and a pitchfork. He connives and he comes, he's masquerading as an angel of light. Because what we do know is that truly he is an actual fallen angel. There's three named angels in the Bible, Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. Gabriel is known for delivering messages. He's the messenger angel. Uh, you remember when Mary it, it, uh, has an encounter with the angel, it is Gabriel that says you are highly favored. 
you, you will give birth to, to a child and he will be birthed by the Holy Spirit. It was Gabriel. It was My, then you have Michael who is in charge of warfare. My, Michael is the one who, who uh, transfers Moses' body. And then you had Lucifer who was in charge of worship. Each had a different responsibility. And Isaiah 14 describes that one day Lucifer said, you know what? I'm tired of praising God. I'm paraphrasing y'all. Um, I want some of this for myself. He was kicked out of heaven. Lucifer and his angels, the Bible, were cast out. Look at another scripture that lets us know that the devil is real. Revelations 12, 7 and 9. John writes, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That's not a metaphor. That is true. The devil is real. And I want to tell you again, this is not to scare anyone. Not, not, to, not to be so negative, but, but to let us know that we have a real enemy. And he's out to get us. He's out to get us. He's real. Number two, the devil's goal is to destroy us. Jesus said, said this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. You notice the terminology says thief. And we know a term called robber. Two different types. A robber will take advantage of an opportunity. He sees somebody walking down and leaves the purse unattended, wasn't planning on it, but takes advantage of that opportunity and will take it because it presented itself. A thief, on the other hand, is the one that is planning to invade a bank. And he sits, or she sits outside that bank for weeks at a time and knows everybody's entrance time, knows everybody's exit time, knows when the manager is behind the desk, knows when he is not, studies the actual setting. And at the opportune moment, after that they have done their homework and after they have seen their vulnerabilities and, and the spots where they're open to, to they're, they're susceptible, the thief comes in. The thief, Jesus said, comes to destroy us. He's looking for an opportunity to steal, kill. And destroy. And while he is real, and while he wants to destroy us, I have good news for you. The devil responds to a higher authority. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, the, the first verse that we read, I talked to, uh, it, it talks about rulers, authorities, powers. It's talking about people with influence. He does have some power, but there is a name that is above his name. 
There is a name that is above his name. 1 John 4, 4 tells us the one who is in you, Jesus in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. So be encouraged today. Yes, the enemy is real. Yes, he is out to destroy us. Yes, he has power. But greater is he that is in you. It doesn't matter what's trying to bring you down today. Can I tell you, you can be victorious in Jesus' name. Our enemy responds to a higher authority. So I want to give you three weapons that you can use. That when you find yourself in a moment of spiritual warfare, can I tell you, it can come as a thought of depression. Can I tell you, it can come as a thought of anxiety. Can I tell you spiritual warfare can, can try to creep up in your mind and try to convince you that you don't have purpose. And whispers in your ear that this world would be better without you. It's a lie. It is a lie. So I want to give you three weapons that you can use when the enemy comes in. And the first is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. There is a name that is above every other name. That while there are names of influence and recognition and prestige, there's names like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's names like Noah, Samuel, David. When you look at the founding fathers of our country, there's names like George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. You look at, there's, there's names that, that carry weight and that they have prestige. But can I tell you that you can take all those names and combine them and they still don't compare to the power of one name. All names have to bow to that name. That name that is above every other name. Growing up, I was young, and, and before I knew how to pray, I'll, I'll never forget. They told me, whenever you're in trouble, you just say Jesus. You just say Jesus. There is just something about that name. There is something about that name that brings what we cannot bring by sharing any other name. The name of Jesus can bring protection when you feel susceptible. The name of Jesus can bring healing when you're sick. The name of Jesus can bring salvation when you're lost. The name of Jesus can bring restoration when you're broken. The name of Jesus can bring deliverance when you're bound and captive. The name of Jesus can, can be declared over your family, over your children, over your, over your health, over whatever you have. I don't know what you're facing here today, but can you just declare that name above your situation? Can you just say Jesus over my mind, Jesus over my bones, Jesus over my body? Look what Luke chapter 10, 17, 19, Jesus is talking and he tells, he says this, the 72 returned with joy. And they came to him and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, quoting, 
what, what, what we find in Isaiah 14. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It was over that fast. That's how powerful our God is. It was over that fast. It's not like what you see in a Star Wars movie where you have the, the, the good side and the dark side, and here they are duking it out. No, it, while, he, while our enemy has power, it compares. It pales in comparison to the power that our God has. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then he says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Talking metaphorically. And to overcome all the power of the enemy. Did you catch that? You have all authority to trample over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Hallelujah. Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in hell. Not only does our God have power here in the heavens, or in the heavens here on earth, but he has power that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. So not only do you have the name of Jesus, you have the blood of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. You have the blood of Jesus. Revelations 12, 11 tells us they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, it is the blood that causes us to overcome. The blood was the final act of complete victory and triumph over Satan and all his enemies. The blood of Jesus. And then we have the word of God. We have the name of Jesus, we have the blood of Jesus, and we have the word of God. The Bible tells us that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. The Bible says that he hungered after. He was weak in his physical body. And the Bible tells us that, that the enemy shows up right at the end of the 40 days. You can't tell me he does not know our weaknesses. Jesus fought the devil. We see it recorded in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. They write their own narratives, their own accounts. Jesus was tempted all three times. He defeated the enemy with the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. We would be wise to do the same. When trials come, it is written. When deception comes, it is written. It is written. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then he says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To know Scripture, to know Scripture, to have the Word of God hidden in our hearts, the Word, the sword of the Spirit, 
as Ephesians 6 says, is an offensive weapon. Jesus said this in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. So I'm going to draw to a close. I've given you three realities of spiritual warfare, three weapons that you can use. Now I want to tell you three things you can do every day. The first thing is this. When engaging in spiritual warfare, knowing that there is a constant battle that wants to occupy space in my mind. In the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that the, the battles are territorial physically. But now we're fighting a spiritual battle where, where the enemy wants to take territory in our minds and hide things and put things in there to try to set up a lie against the truth of God's word. So what do I do? i got to commit myself to God. There is a protection. Can I tell you there is a protection that only the Father can provide. We see this in the parable of the prodigal son. The enemy could not touch the son while he was in the house. But he left. There is a protection under the umbrella of God. And I want to tell you that your authority with our enemy is only as strong as our relationship with God. Because I can make a bad choice and say, now nah, I want to do things my way. And I, I can get out of his covering. And, and by the time you know it, it's just a gradual and you've floated away. There's an umbrella of protection that, that God provides. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When we read this verse, pay attention to, to this or Pay attention to the order of James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The second thing can't happen without the first thing. So I have to ask myself, am I living according to God's word? Am I doing what he what he's telling me that I should do. Is he my guide? Is he the captain of my ship? We can get out of his covering and just find ourselves wide open to the devil's schemes. Submit yourselves to God so when you do this, the Bible says you'll resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Resist the devil. It doesn't say you have to hide from him. It doesn't say you have to run away from him. It just says you just resist. And he will flee from you. 
one of the ways to, to get under the umbrella of God is getting connected to a local church, being part of a church body, to be part of the family, join a small group. In a, on a personal level, wake up in the morning, commit yourself to God, praying, reading his word. Are we submitting ourselves to him? And then ask yourself right now, in, in this moment, in a rhetorical way, is there an area of your life that we haven't fully submitted to him? And the great thing is that today we can repent and we can come to him and say, God, I, I've made some stupid choices, but I want to reintegrate myself to where I belong. Under your covering. Get, so get under his covering in every area. And the second thing is this. You've got to close any open doors. Close any open doors. I heard a story of some thieves. That all they would do. Would, they would just walk from house to house when everybody was asleep. And it was as easy as if the door is unlocked, I'm going to go in. If the door is locked, I'm going to go try the next house. Any opportunity where the door was open, they would come right in. So every day, you and I need to close any open doors that there may be in our lives. Because there's certain things that you and I can do that when we do them, we leave ourselves open to demonic activity. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, they had, to, they had to discipline a man for an immoral issue. He repented turned away from that, and in the second letter, he's writing, and the church is having a hard time accepting this person back. The, the church is having a hard time accepting him back, and, and 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 says this, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. He's telling him, look, look, you guys really have to get over this. He's repented. We're, we're not the judges here. He says, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And watch what he says. In order that Satan might not outwit us. Why is this important? Because for we are not aware of his schemes. Paul said that when, when you hold something against someone, you are literally leaving a door open for the enemy to outwit us. Well, I don't know if I could just get over this. I don't know if I could ever forgive him. I don't know if I could ever forgive her. I don't know if forgiveness is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for us. It's for you. Forgiveness is for you. So can I tell you it's not worth it? I'm not, it's, I'm not excusing anything that was done to you. No, by no means. But I'm just saying that can you surrender it to God and just say, God, I don't want to let this. Stand in the way of you doing in my life what you want to do.
Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. And it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That's all he wants. Because if he can grab, if he can get a grip on us, and if he can grab a hold of us, it allows him to inch his way closer and closer and closer. But I have to make sure, I'm telling you, Impact City, I love you too much to, to not share this with you. That the enemy wants to get in through offense. The enemy wants to get in through unforgiveness. But if we can expose the lies of the enemy. Look what Ephesians 5.11. Have nothing to do with fruitless seeds of darkness. But rather expose them. And that's what we're doing today with God's help. And the last thing is, i got to confront the enemy in prayer. Every day, it doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to draw attention, no, but it has to be consistent and it has to be active. The Christian life is not a passive life. The Christian life is an active life. It has to be consistent. We have to know that victory is ours in Jesus' name, and I have to take his word and let it be true in my life. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, be self-controlled and alert. Hey, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Keep your guard up spiritually. Don't let your guard down because he's just waiting. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone. He'll take anybody. He'll take anybody that he can, but we are here because we know the truth and we're trying to vacate hell and populate heaven. The enemy, yes, he is real, but God is greater still. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for one slip up. He's waiting for one decision that we make that can deter deter us from being who God has called us to be. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. But greater is he that is in me. But greater is he that is in me. I got to be alert. I got to be alert. If I told you that someone's coming to your house this morning at 3 a.m. and they are going to try to take everything that you have, I promise you, you're not going to go, you're not going to, you're not going to sleep that night. I'm pretty sure you'll be by the, the front door with two friends, Smith and Wesson. I'm pretty sure you would be alert. I want to tell you the enemies after your life. Be alert. I got to keep my guard up. I got to know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord is going to raise a standard against him. I have to know that no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. I have to know. He's coming. He's coming, but greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. That means I don't have to 
get distracted from my purpose. That means I don't have to be, uh, lose my self-control. That means that I don't have to, to live in failure and defeat. That means that, that I don't have to live in disappointment. I don't have to live in the past. I, I don't have to let people define me. It, it means that I am who God says I am and I got to take uh, his word. So there is a fight. There's a fight. But victory is yours in Jesus' name. Take the truth of his word. Take the truth of his word. We just finished a series built on the word. Take the truth of his word and let that demolish the lie that the enemy wants to plant in your life. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, right now, by the authority that is in your word, and by the power that is in the name of Jesus, we demolish every stronghold. We demolish every lie. We demolish every pretension. Satan, we bind you in Jesus' name. We rebuke you right now in Jesus' name from our lives, from our families, from our businesses, from our careers, from our health right now. Anywhere that you are looking to wreak havoc, we bind you in Jesus' name. We declare that there is power in Jesus. We declare the name that is above every other name. Over every, every, over every circumstance, over every situation, over every challenge right now, we declare that there is victory, that the victory is already forever settled in, in you, Lord. We declare it today over every believer, over every mind, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.